Welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding their purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. My guest today is Brian Bonasisi, the owner of a destination DJ business that specializes in private events around the world. It's an unlikely outcome from his early days performing in an acoustic disco cover band, but for more than two decades, Brian has established himself as an industry leader and go-to DJ for both corporate and private events. In this episode, Brian shares his early struggles of trying to establish himself as a full-time DJ and his current role of building a company, growing a team, and creating a purpose-driven culture for his clients and his team. In this episode, Brian will also talk about his spiritual gifting and how that influences his leadership style. Recorded in our New York City studio with all the background noise of busy city life, this episode is sure to inspire anyone who wants to be more intentional about developing a purpose-driven culture in their work. You can access show notes from today's episode, including where to find Brian online at donsadler.com slash 014. If you're listening on iTunes, subscribe and leave us a review because this helps us grow a community of Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. And now, let's meet Brian. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the show. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. So um, for our listeners who don't already know who you are, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. All right. So I'm Brian Bonacisi, Um, originally from Southern California, then moved to Florida for a stint, and then eventually got here in New York City. Along those way, uh, I found my passion in being a traveling destination DJ. And so that's what I do. I do private events, uh, lifestyle events, wedding events, um, all under the private event umbrella and a little bit of dabble into the nightlife uh, work as well. Wow. How did you get into that? Funny story. Um, So I started out of high school in a cover band. Uh, It was a disco cover band. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, it was a pretty large band, about 15 people, Mm -hmm. uh, which is big by nightlife band standards. And so I quickly found out after a couple months that uh, $50 a night wasn't going to cut it in paying my bills. (laughs) Um, And even though we got booked a lot, we had our name of our band. We were a disco cover band, so we called ourselves Affirmative Action. And so a lot of times we get booked just on the name. That's awesome. I, like I said, realized I needed to pay my bills. And so I uh, had a nightlife spot that was looking for, we played there, we played acoustic disco there on Sunday nights. Oh, wow. And so they wanted us to, they were starting a a nightlife thing with a DJ. They'd never done it before. And they're like, we want somebody to come in and do this. And I said, how much does it pay? (laughs) (laughs) So they said a couple hundred bucks. I was like, I am in. I'm like, when do you want to start this? And so they mentioned June. I had never DJed in my life. Uh, I had a pretty good record collection. So I had a couple months to kind of work towards it. And um, my first night, I'll never forget, I literally rented a U-Haul truck. 
mm. had rolling cart of all my records that I literally <laughs> redecorated this 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 little restaurant that was kind of like a nightclub, and mm. that was how I got my start. I started doing it that way, and one thing led to another, and that's just kind of how it's all started. Wow! And how many years have you been doing this? Well, uh, <laughs> let's see here. I think I'm now going to be on my 22nd year. That's amazing. That's yeah. an uncommon longevity for this type of work, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And the thing that's so exciting is that um, not only do you have longevity, but it just feels like every single year your business grows and grows and grows. And, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But um, tell me, like, from that first gig mm-hmm. um, to today, kind of give us a scale. How big is your team? How many events do you do a year? That type of thing. Well, even though I was doing, uh, you know, one nightlife spot a week, it still wasn't enough to pay the bills. So, Mm -hmm. but it was, uh, fulfilling, um, that musical, uh, desire I had to kind of have an outlet. Yeah. And so I had a day job. Um, and so I kind of did both. That was my moonlighting job was my DJing. And so eventually it worked into three nights a week. I was doing this and, uh, it got to a point where, um, I just wanted to go full time with it. Yeah. So I actually stepped out on my own at one point, quit my day job, said, I'm going to do this full time. Yeah. Bad idea. <laughs> um, horrible idea. <laughs> I uh, tried doing it and immediately, you know, the phones weren't ringing like I, like I expected it to. I had written up this business plan and this is going to, you know, A plus B is going to equal C and it just didn't. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Um, had to get a couple of other day jobs to fulfill that. But I always had in the back of my mind that I want to do this full time one day. Mm. And so um, I had, I, I guess let me back up to my nightlife stuff. I was doing that for a while and the patrons started getting out of the age that they were getting married. And so they wanted me to DJ their wedding. Yeah. And that's kind of how I stepped into the private event world was through the nightlife thing. And it was funny because they wanted the nightlife experience like of the music. Yeah. And they didn't care much about like the formality part of it. You know, the the tux and all of the other stuff that went along with it. They just wanted that party feel. Mm. And so I latched onto a company uh, because I was just, I have a perfectionist streak in me and I wanted to make sure that I was executing all the little nuances of a wedding, you know, experience. So I latched onto a, a, a private event DJ company and said, I want to learn from you guys for six months to a year. And so they let me in on their team. I learned all the nuances. Yeah. And through that, I was working with uh, Disney. Mm. Um, so I was doing a ton of Disney weddings. I didn't even know it was a thing, but I was doing <laughs> so many Disney weddings. You know, I didn't know um, that was a thing either. Yeah. So uh, that was great t- uh, training, though, because... Yeah. Um, Disney has very, you know, they have a regimented, this is how we're going to do it. It's got to follow A, B, and C with this, and and you got to do it this way. So it was really good uh, training for me to be in a structured environment like that. Um, Fast forward, um, I started getting a lot of, uh, through my day job, uh, high-end events, just Mm. out of the gate. Um, Mm. I was working for a DJ manufacturing company, Uh uh, so it kind of was hand-in-hand with what I wanted to do anyway. And so we were getting our our products into movies and different TV shows. So I was doing rap parties. I was doing some celebrity events and thinking that all of this was coming as a result of my amazing DJ talent. (laughs) I found out that it was really my connections with my day job, which was pioneer pro DJ at the time. And Mm. so again, 
I decided to try this on my own. And so I put in my resignation, was going to go full time again. So I tried it again and the phones didn't ring. So I was like, gosh, this is not good. Well, part of that pioneer experience is me going around the country to different nightlife spots and essentially uh, demoing our newest product Mm -hmm. that we were trying to get in. to all those places and and so I would get on these mailing lists and at one point I did like a six month tour mm. where I was going to every nightclub that fit a certain you know uh, threshold that we needed to fit yeah. and so I get on these mailing lists and so one of the mailing lists said hey we want to um, bring out a person to run our uh, entertainment out here and be their resident DJ and this is in Florida wow. and I'd only been to that place one time so I go all the way out there, wow. sight unseen, um, and actually, let me back up. I, I So I got the job. Mm-hmm. Um, they yeah. hired me, which I didn't think they would do. They paid for relocation, all this stuff. Wow. Allowed me to go back to California to do some of my events that I already had booked. Yeah. And so I signed a one-year contract, and basically that was uh, my ticket to going full-time DJing. And so it wasn't exactly private event work, but you know, it was just getting me into the music scene full time. Cause now I had a salary, I had, you know, benefits, which was crazy. That stuff doesn't happen usually. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a year and at that time I was about 24, 25 and I don't know, I, my party days were long gone and I was looking at how can I monetize this? And yeah. so, um, my shift did not start until midnight and mm. I would go from midnight until three thirty in the morning. Oh my God. So that left a huge amount of time to do whatever I needed to do. So right. I was like, how can I monetize this? And so I checked with one of the bartenders who was, uh, working for a caterer during the day. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, all these events are outside cause we're in Florida, yeah. but they have noise ordinances that they stop at 10 o'clock. So you could easily make your midnight shift because the town wasn't that big. And I didn't realize I was in a, like a destination market for these weddings because these, um, there was a beach town, beautiful beaches, some definitely a hidden gem. Yeah. And so I started like knocking on those doors of those planners and, um, at that time there just wasn't a professionalism that was there. And so it actually was rather easy for me to kind of climb the ladder pretty quickly because, you know, they're used to a DJ coming in with a trucker hat, nothing against Southern DJs or anything <laughs> like that. But, you know, I, and here I'm coming in, you know, business casual, asking the right questions. And, and the first time I did that with a planner, she was blown away. She's like, I can't believe you're asking these questions. We never had a DJ ask these kinds of things. I'm like, really? This is like standard. Like I would not get hired if I didn't ask these questions in California. Yeah. So one thing led to another and I just kind of kept climbing that ladder there. Meanwhile, my California business was still happening. I was still getting calls, just word of mouth. And so, um, I was just kind of going between the two, two places back and forth, making it happen. Um, and eventually after my one year contract ended with the, with the nightclub, I decided to go full time with just private event work. Mm. And so that led me to, uh, kind of bringing on more folks because, Honestly, these planners, they, they all wanted me and I couldn't yeah. fulfill all those jobs. So I'm like, I got to get a team together. Yeah. So I started bringing on some folks and, um, eventually now it's this full blown, like it could be its own company, essentially our Florida market. Cause we've got, now we've gone into photo booths and chairs and rentals and, uh, coordination and all kinds of stuff just because people trusted who we were and it was all built off of the trust that they built we built through our DJ business Mm. and then eventually I moved to New York because I was looking for um, just to go up another level another notch and try uh, something different yeah yeah Um, I I love that I want to dig into something that you said 
um, because I think it's a really important part of this discussion that we're having today. And that is that when you knocked on these doors and you you talked to these planners, um, that you came ready and professional and you had done your homework and I know you and I know that's the way that you do everything with excellence and um and that and that readiness and I I feel like sometimes that can be so rare not just in your industry but in a lot of industries that actually somebody who shows up that way can be very successful just because it's so rare um and so, as you said, you were building the company and people wanted you and um, it was growing and then you had to start building this team around you. Right. And so I think, um, you know, building a team that has that level of excellence and professionalism is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. But in your specific instance, it's even more challenging because it's not like you're in an office with people that you're around every day kind of instilling that DNA. Right. You actually have to instill that DNA and then send them to an event where you're not there with them right. and kind of trust them to um, to carry that DNA. And so we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, I think it's important to kind of take a step back and just talk a little bit about, um, a little bit about the role of calling. Mm. Like where does, um, where does your sense of God's calling on your life fit in with what you're doing for your work? Well, for me, I, I've always wanted to have a purpose behind what I'm doing. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just been, it's just something that since I was little, like I've always wanted to be helpful and do something that I felt like had a direct impact, like immediate, uh, worth to somebody's life. Like it's not going to just be a fly by night thing. Like it's something that they're going to remember. Um, so it actually worked out pretty well for what I'm doing now, uh, in this, this field that I've been in because, I mean, we're celebrating like special moments and for some people, I mean, it's, you know, a wedding is like a once in a lifetime, you know, typically, uh, occasion, you know, or if it's a school dance, like you remember like what that, uh, that song that was played in your high school, you know, for senior prom, or, you know, maybe it's a milestone for your company and you're like, gosh, um, you know, we hit a million dollars or a billion dollars, whatever the case may be. And you remember a certain song that kind of brings back that memory of that. And so I've always wanted to be a part of something like that, that you will remember. And that was a positive experience, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what does that look like in your interaction with clients? Mm. What do you think? um, And we're going to talk more about this particular aspect later, but it's worth mentioning that um, in spiritual giftings that you have a very strong pastoral gifting. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about how, you know, maybe that's thought of as something that happens in the church, but we can actually bring that into our work environment. Sure. So tell me a little bit about how, um, how calling informs how you relate to clients for those very special moments, planning those moments and and sharing those. Well, like I said, I felt like I always had a spot for, making an impact in those moments. So I think it's just a constant reminding of yourself that this is not just a, uh, something that you can just have a do over in, like you have one chance. And so I don't know, you can get into just a habit of like 
this is always happening every weekend. You could fill up yeah. your schedule and it just becomes mundane yeah. and you lose that sense of reverence, I guess is the right word mm. for each person's experience because mm. for you, it might be an every weekend thing, but for them, that's that one, one opportunity and that's one yeah. chance for them to be able to, you know, share that moment with that other person or with their company or whatever. So I always go into those meetings, um, reminding myself that like, listen, this isn't just a gig. Like yeah. this is a truly, um, uh, a, a, a moment you know, like that. That's going to be something that they're going to remember forever and how I present myself and, and, uh, conduct myself during not only the event, but all the way leading up to it, that experience that they have, that all plays a part into it. And so I try to keep that with me at all times. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, good. So, um, I love that because it really kind of gives a context for our topic today uh, for people to understand just the level of excellence that you bring to everything and that, and like you said, that reverence. Um, so jumping back to building a team. Yeah. Um, instilling in every team member um, that same sense of reverence and that same sense of purpose um, and, and, and again, instilling that and kind of releasing that. And I would think that that has to really start with how you hire, right? Totally. So tell me about your hiring process. What does building a team look like from that very first, that very first um, interview process? Yeah. Well, one, I would say that my most, the most important job I have is the hiring process. Like Mm. if I get that wrong, that could be a virus for any company. I feel like that, especially mine, because I don't have the touch points as much as like somebody who works on a nine to fiver. Yeah. Um, just because these people are all over the country. So we have very limited face to face time. So I have to get that right. Yeah. Um, and I can, you know, it's not a perfect science either. I mean, you're going to make mistakes, but I think one of the biggest things that I've tried to, to, or that I've found that has worked well for me anyway, is making sure that they've got the same DNA. Mm. Um, and so when we look for somebody, we're not looking for robots necessarily. We want them to have their own individuality, but there has to be a common thread that goes through it all, you know? And so for us, we have a grid, we kind of walk them through, um, which, and I'm talking about interviewers. So for us, it's, uh, you know, we have three pillars that we look at. We look at humility is a, a big piece of the pie. Um, hunger is another one, just being wanting to do whatever they, you know, whether it's wanting to learn their craft or take on as many jobs as they want. Um, it can mean different things. And then the third would be people smarts. Mm. And we feel like that's the ideal person for us. If we get those three characteristics, like they're going to speak the language and it'll resonate in the things that they do and it'll just come out. And so part of our hiring process is we'll have them hire or go through an interview process with at least two to three people. Mm. Um, so the first person we're, we're kind of, poking at those, those, um, pillars to mm-hmm. see what we can ascertain, you know, do mm-hmm. they have that? Mm-hmm. And if let's say one of them is a little questionable, well then that interviewer will go to the second interviewer and say, Hey, for the second interview, I really want you to, I'm feeling like you need to be looking out for this thing, mm-hmm. uh, this particular pillar. And so it'll go through a second one. And then eventually I'll get the final interview and I'll be looking at those three and go and probing our own, um, you know, interviewers of like, what were the things that you really felt were strong? What were you using some things? So it's not about really the resume, to be honest. It's more about like that culture fit. And, and if they, we get that right, the skill set will, we we can always teach that stuff. Um, but the DNA, it's hard to, it's hard to overcome. Um, if you don't have the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we were talking earlier too about the fact that um, the humble um, uh, humility, hunger, and people smarts, that that is three things that also you are very strong in. Uh. And that when you build a culture, that often um, a culture shadows whatever a leader has. And so to build a, a strong company culture, it has to be an authentic company culture. Right. And that that really comes from who you are and trying to find people who fit within that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Once you hire people based on these three things and they come in and then how do you sort of create a um, values for your company culture? Like how do you shape the company culture for people once they're in the company? I think it's um, repeating things over and over again, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but then not just saying it, but also modeling it too. Yeah. Um, I think that they kind of go hand in hand, but a lot of people, they say, Hey, these are our values. They put it on a wall and they never mention it again. And you look at it and you're like, I don't remember what our values are, you know? So I think you have to continually almost to a broken record state, continually state those things where they are like, okay, we know them already. You know, that's a sign of like, okay, we're hit, we're doing it right. Um, you know, for us and our business, excellence is a big one. Um, we're all about trying to make sure everything we do is done with excellence um also boutique is another thing because we're kind of all over the country Mm. um we don't want anybody to feel like their event doesn't matter or that they're just a number like Mm -hmm. they're processed through the system but we want them to feel like they're actually valued Mm. um so that boutique approach is really important that we treat each one like that and then i'd say the other two for us that are big values are creativity um I'm big on that. Like how can we make theirs unique, stand out and different? Mm-hmm. And then also collaborative. I think people want to mm-hmm. be a part of the process. Um, and not always is that going to be something like they're not looking for you to always give them the answer. They want to be part of that process with you. And yeah. I think if you can include them and not feel like you are the expert and like, Hey, we want to build something custom for you. Yeah. They love that. And this doesn't have to be even with just the client. It could be with other vendor partners or whatever. Yeah. And I think what you said earlier, too, is so important that not only to repeat it, which is important, but to model it. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like our actions as leaders speak so much more than anything that we're saying. And I think that you model those things very well. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk more. um, Getting back to the pastoral gifting. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, that is something that um, that you're very gifted in and, um, spiritual giftings have a place in the workplace, not just in the church. And, um, I think recognizing what those strengths are and asking God, how can I, you know, how can this get outworked in, in my everyday work life? Um, so when it comes to building that purpose-driven team culture, um, how do you think your pastoral gifting comes in? How does that get outworked for you? Mm. Gosh, great question. Uh, I think for me, you know, I've always had, um, like I said, this helpful, want to, want to make an impact in someone's life. And so sometimes that doesn't always mean that it's the same approach for each person on your team. Mm. Uh, a lot of times, you know, what works for one may only work for that person. So it's almost like you have to get into in tune with really knowing who each person is and what their, um, you know, what, what it is that can motivate them, what it is that you can help 
encourage them with. And that looks different, especially in the arts. I think like that in particular is always a tricky thing because artists tend to take things a little bit more personally. Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful of the way you communicate and really look to kind of uh, individualize that experience for each of them, which is kind of funny because it kind of is the way we treat our clients anyway. Yeah. So it's like they're seeing it hopefully from me in that regard. And then that's kind of like trickling down to the way that we treat our clients too. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. I know all the sirens in New York. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing. Um, well, like I said, you are somebody who does such a phenomenal job of creating that um, that purpose-driven culture, and and not just for your team, but really for those around you. I've had the great fortune of knowing you for several years, and I've seen you model that every single day, oh. in every environment I've ever seen you in. So, um, so it's really remarkable. As always, our time has gone a little bit too quickly, and yeah. there's so much more that we could talk about. Sure. I know. Um, but it's time for our final five, okay. which okay. is five questions designed yeah. to resource our listeners. So um, the first one is, other than the Bible, what's one book that changed your life and why? This was the toughest thing for me to narrow <laughs> down. I'm an avid reader. So oh, like, okay. I don't feel like there's ever been like one specific book, but I'll yeah. say one was kind of a game changer for me, uh-huh. like um, that I feel like any leader should read. Mm -hmm. And that would be, um, the four obsessions of an extraordinary executive by Patrick Lencioni. And if you've never heard of this art, uh, this author, you need to know him because, um, he's written series of books on leadership and, and, but the way he, he writes these books, Uh the first third of the book is a fable. And it's either something that's great or um, something terrible that's happened. Then he mentions like the second third of the book, the characteristics of like the principles within that. Mm. And then the third third of it is how to apply that to your own situation. Mm. And so, I mean, I devour those books like literally in a day because they're so compelling, easy reads, but they are so like nuggets, like you can get so much from it. So big book for me, that one. That's so great. Um, what podcast are you listening to now and why? Um, so right now, um, I guess it would have to be within my industry probably. So I'm listening to this one called song exploder. I just found out about it recently. Um, but what it is, is basically, uh, uh they actually get artists, uh, musicians on the, on the line or on the podcast who explain the why behind the song they wrote. Oh, cool. It's amazing. Like, uh, I mean, any artist that you can think of has been on it. And uh, I listened to one from the Lumineers talking about how they wrote this certain song. And, and, and literally, they recreate the track and mm. talk about certain instruments they used, why. And just it's really good. Even the non-musical person would get a lot out of it. And uh, so that's a big one for me, Song Exploder. That sounds amazing. I always love the um, creative process, it, right? regardless of what the medium is. I totally. Love, I love that. Um, and we will include links to um, to these resources in the show notes. What is your favorite Bible verse and why? Well, without a doubt, Proverbs 13, 20, uh, which says, He who, be, who walks with the wise becomes wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Mm-hmm. And I just love it because... Um, we don't have much time. I mean, even though if you lived a hundred years, it goes by like that. Yeah, and I'm realizing it more and more every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, choose your friends wisely. Like yeah. the people that you're confidants with, those folks, yeah. um, 
you pick those people as you know those those wise individuals um and make the right decisions there and yeah and so i've it's just been something i've tried to live by yeah that's great um what's the best business advice you ever received um so this came from an entrepreneur uh and he said this he said your vision is sacred but your strategy isn't and I love that because it's like, don't discard, you know, your goals or whatever, just change your approach, you yeah. know, but yeah. keep true to who you are and where you're headed. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's I really love that. Good. That's really good. Um, what encouragement would you give to somebody right now who's like, you know what, I've got this team and maybe it's, you know, not, not forming the way that I want it to and mm. would really love to build this purpose driven culture in my own company. What encouragement would you give that? And, and before you answer that, let me just say for our listeners, you don't have to be a leader to mm -hmm. answer this question. You can be on a team in any capacity um, and really have a vision for what it means to infuse it with that purpose-driven culture. So what encouragement would you give? Two. One, think through like the teams that you've seen be successful mm. and pick the brains of those those teams that you envy, you know, mm -hmm. where you go, wow, their culture is amazing. Not that you're trying to clone yourself in that, but there's got to be some principles or some something there that has driven that organization that you can utilize for yourself. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is, I mean, I've been through some tough stretches with teams at times and, and I still try to just be present in the moment yeah. and not get caught up on where you're headed or whatever, but just stay where you are mm. and, and, uh, relish the journey because it's going to make you better as a leader or better as a team, you know, um, lead or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then you'll grow from that. They'll grow from it. So being present, I think is important when yeah. you're in that journey. Yeah. That's so good. I would love it if you wouldn't mind just, um, saying a prayer over our listeners again, whether they're leaders or whether they're part of a team or wherever they may find themselves, just a prayer over releasing that, that, um, that purpose-driven team culture and affecting culture mm. as we're called to do as Christians. So if you wouldn't mind just sure. saying a prayer. Sure. God, um, I thank you for this opportunity to just share a little bit of my own journey and my mm -hmm. own story. And, um, I pray for those that might be in a place where, they're trying to figure out this whole team thing. Like, mm -hmm. what does that look like for their company? Um, maybe it's their first hire, or maybe it's their 30th, um, or maybe it's a situation where they've got a few people on their team that just don't fit their culture, how to handle that. Mm -hmm. And so God, I just um, ask that you um, surround them with wise people um, that they can go to, to, um, to ask for either, whether it be advice or, um, just to bounce some ideas off of. And I pray that they'll, at the end of the day, um, just model the way that you would want us to live our lives. Um, and, and God, I just pray that uh, wherever they are in that journey, that, um, that they'll just rely on you. And, um, and I thank you for what you've done in my life, and I just pray the same for them. In your name we pray. Amen. And then just one last thing, where can people find you online? Yeah, the best place right now is DJ, so the letters DJ, mm -hmm. Brian B, B-R-I-A-N-B as in boy, official.com. So DJ Brian B official.com. Awesome. And again, we'll have links to that in the show notes. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
I'd like to thank my guest, Brian Buonasisi, for joining me today. You can access the show notes for today's episode, as well as where to find Brian online at donsadler.com slash 014. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Don Sadler. To hear more conversations with Christians who are finding their purpose, redefining work, and changing their world, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also access past episodes, see our Conversations on Calling video series, and subscribe to the blog at donsadler.com. Have thoughts or questions about today's episode? Join the conversation by following me on Instagram at Don Sadler. Thank you for listening.